There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery. Code Wondery. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 435. That's not just an arbitrary number. We've done 435 podcasts that we've put out. That's a lot of podcasts. More that are coming down the pipeline. Ooh. Damn. It's crazy. We should celebrate it by ending Marvel Week. <laughs> what? This would be a perfect episode I'm just feeling like to wrap up Marvel Week, episode number 435. But before we get to that, I'm performing tonight, November 8th, at the Carolina Theater in Durham, North Carolina. I know a lot of people don't listen right when the podcast comes out, but if you do, and you happen to be in North Carolina, I'll come on out. You know, it might even be crazier. People are waiting for you to come out on stage listening to this in the audience right now. Oh, I should introduce myself. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Hardwick. Hey, everybody. Stuff's crazy. Run a commentary of yourself on stage. Hashtag Doctor Who. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, At Midnight's also on for another week for our initial run, so hopefully we get to come back. I don't know. It seems to be doing well, but uh, but you never know. You never know what's going to happen. So At Midnight's on Monday through Thursday after Colbert uh, on Comedy Central. Uh, the, the time is in the name. Unless you were in the central time zone, but we couldn't call it at 11 central because that doesn't have it's a good quite though, the ring to it. Didn't call that version of the show like go to hell central time zone though. We I mean, not, it's no, we were, well, I, I'm it's a central close. time zone child. I'm, you know, I'm from uh, Memphis. That's right, so that's right. I, I have great affection for the hour earlier prime time right. setup. Um, but uh, this episode was brought to you by Shutterstock.com. Uh, Shutterstock is a place where you're going to find videos uh, for your next creative project, whether it's a you know website or an advertisement or a multimedia presentation. You can choose from over 700,000 high-quality stock video clips, 2D animations, 3D motion graphics. They have pretty much any digital format you're going to need, uh, and most of them come in HD as well. They're going to give you the assets you need to bring your creative projects to the next level. Um, it, you can search by category, you can search by clip, resolution, contributor. Uh, there's a there's a ton of different search strings that you can create to find the exact video assets that you're looking for. And then you save them to the clip box, and you can access your selections anytime and share them with other team members if you are uh, if you are uh, socially. Uh, can, I, can I access your clip box? <laughs> Not with that beard. Oh. It's weird when you say. Can I rub my beard against your clip box? Yeah, you know. Again, I don't want you to have. Okay, I'm not giving. I'm not giving Kyle access to my clip box. You don't get to see what's in there, Kyle. Oh. But anyone else can create their own clip box if you want. <laughs> don't give Kyle access to your clip box, ladies and um, gentlemen. If you would like access beard rubbing to your clip box, please email beardclipboxrobert at gmail.com. Or just go find Kyle on Twitter. <laughs> what's your Twitter? At Kyle Clark is rad. Oh, you are Kyle Clark is rad. <laughs> And you can send as many clip boxes as you want to that. I love yes. it. Yes, so to, to Kyle tweeted Come him. Come get rubbed. Clip, clip, bo- clip box access approved. Yeah. Uh, so Shutterstock has also has amazing customer service. They have dedicated reps 24 hours uh, throughout the week. No credit card needed. Go to Shutterstock.com, start an account, 
and uh, start to imagine what your next project's going to look like. Once you decide to purchase, use the offer code NERDIST11, and all new accounts will receive 30% off any package. Thanks so much, Shutterstock, for sponsoring this episode of the Nerdist Podcast, which, as Kyle previously said, and his beard said, is uh, uh, Kevin Feige wrapping up Marvel Week. This has been a really fun week. Clark Gregg was great, and, uh, and Tom Hiddleston was, uh, was dreaming. He really was. He really was. I saw I went to the Thor premiere, which was a blast. Uh, and I sat, I sat in front of Rooker, and then and Karen Gillan was right behind them. They just did James Gunn's movie. They just did Guardians, Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, which looks amazing. Yeah, just does. from the the little clip that you know, just the little teaser. It was really just like a Such here's a vibe of the cast. movie. Yeah, uh, that they showed at Comic Con. So I'm I'm very 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 excited about that. I'm and excited about ripped Chris Pratt. Ripped Chris Pratt is going to be in that movie. He was not there. Rip, rip, rip Chris Pratt or previous uh, Chris Pratt 1.0 was not there either. But um, uh, <laughs> Thor was a blast, and and Hiddleston, I ran into him at the at the after party, and I was just for a quick was like, oh, thanks for doing the bad guys again today. And he stopped, and again, he's just so engaging, and he talked, and you know, he kissed Chloe on the cheek, and she was like, he kissed me, like it was like this. <laughs> she got the vapors. <laughs> Hiddleston gave Chloe the vapors, and I got to see Kevin Feige and give Kevin a, a, a high a five. Feige. But I uh, gave him a high Feige. Nice. Uh, which, by the way, what Kevin Feige has done um, with this with this the cinematic Marvel universe is unprecedented, and it's genius and innovative. And uh, and he's a lovely guy. And uh, and we went out to Marvel. They just moved to the studio uh, to the Disney to the Disney lot in Burbank, and um, and. And had a had a great chat, which is uh, which you will hear right now. And um, he actually does listen to the podcast, which weirds me. It's weird when people you respect are like, "Oh, I know the thing you do." And you're like, "What? You're not supposed to know what I do. I'm supposed to know what you do." That's pretty cool. It is pretty also, cool. Also, hello. Yeah. <laughs> I like what you do. Uh, if I could do not give Kyle access to your clip box, please. Uh, sorry. Oh, here we go. It's going to be full of Marvel stuff. <laughs> <laughs> there might be ripped Chris Pratt in there. That's where he's hiding. No! You ripped Chris Pratt. I think push-ups ripped Chris Pratt. I guess that's true. Uh, here we go. There's podcast number 435 with Kevin Feige. Woo! Go watch Thor! Now entering Nerdist.com. My second day in this office. You guys were in. Yeah, I got I, lost I, earlier today trying to find. I noticed, like, when I walked in, all the artwork was just leaning up against the walls. I was we like, just I think moved we, in. Just moved in. We just moved in. I used to come to this building a lot. I had a girlfriend that worked in this building. Yeah. Uh, she was like a music for Disney TV animation. Laura. Right. Oh. Yeah, so I used to come in. It was weird. I haven't been back since. And that was like, you know, four so years So Jonah's going to start having some weird flashbacks. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, 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 exactly. still here. Yeah, I still here. No, she, they moved, <laughs> she was with Phineas and Ferb, and they all moved somewhere else. So I just want out of my to, life. I just want to say that um, uh, the table, this table is particularly sensitive. So, so don't we, touch if we it. Hit the table. And don't make fun of it. Pick, and don't make fun of the table. No, don't make fun of the table. Don't make fun of the table. It's a nice table. It's, it's all right. I mean, you know, it's oh look, it's it's sort of <laughs> actually if you spin the t- if you flip the table over, it almost looks like an X Men logo. <laughs> starting early. That's, I'm not starting anything. I'm just saying. That's the, that's what I call desperation Easter egg hunting. <laughs> But did you notice the table? <laughs> did you see the no, shadow? Come on, we have work to do. <laughs> no, but look, you look. You're just trying to just trying to plant the Easter eggs all over the place. 
Yeah, it's nice. Were you guys were in Huntington Beach or Manhattan? Manhattan Beach. Beach. Manhattan, oh, Beach. Really? Manhattan Beach. Uh, yeah, at Raleigh Studios out there. Oh, okay. All right. Or is it that used the to be called Raleigh, Raleigh Studios. The one that's on Bronson. Uh, it, it used to be related to the whole. Yeah, the, okay. the, that that company managed it. So I was, yeah. I was talking to your uh, to your assistant. She was like, "We just moved here two days ago into Burbank from Manhattan Beach," and I was like, "Oh my god, Manhattan Beach." Which I guess is not that bad if you live over there, but if you don't live in Manhattan Beach, that is a trek. That's a trek. It is, but it's but Burbank is depends where you live. It depends where you where live. Where do you live? In the Palisades. Then, oh, and from the this is much worse. Yeah, this yeah. is way yeah, worse. Yeah, this is much worse. Would you uh do you go I, up and around or do you go through the city? Uh I'm learning this is literally my second day coming okay. here, so it's I'm learning different ways. ways. You just gotta as, use yeah. ways. President of, that's what everyone tells me. As a yeah. president of Marvel Studios, don't you feel like Disney could construct like some type of pneumatic transport system underneath the ground? <laughs> if, if there was some sort of singular rail system or a monorail of some type <laughs> that, could, <laughs> that could take you places, I would love it. There's Which, a guy from uh, New Havensbrook that's bringing in the monorail. <laughs> New Haverbrook. New Haverbrook. Yeah. Ogdenville. That's right. Um, I was just funny because I was just watching. As an adult for the first time, Who Framed Roger Rabbit uh, last night, the, uh, watched it, and it's funny how, like, it's like the first, like, one of the first, like, kind of lines of, like, piping in that movie is, um, it's like, hey, mister, don't you have a car? Why would I need a car? And I'm in Los Angeles. They have the best public transport in the country. <laughs> and that's, they almost should have just turned to the camera and went, yeah, ah, exactly. remember? But yeah. stop your laughing. Remember that, too. Roger Rabbit not only so holds up, but it's also, that must be an interesting case study for you because... When again will all of I, I guess Wreck It Ralph came pretty close, but yeah. will, when again will all of that I all that different IP from yeah. this from coming to be allowed to? Yep. Like, do you just sort of salivate when you see that? How did they get? Oh my god, <laughs> it's pretty amazing. And you know, I remember <clears throat> reading my Starlog magazine and all this stuff when I was a kid to learn about it and how Rod Rabbit was such an insane uh, production and. Uh, uh, Eddie Valiant almost went crazy because he was acting to nothing because it was right everything was added later but that's the way every movie is made now now yeah, yeah every single that's movie true. or at least every movie like this I hadn't even yeah. thought about that it's just like yeah that must have been all that was all green screen yeah I mean they had the sets were elevated and they had puppeteers with you know cigars uh, just floating on rods that they were acting with yeah, uh, it was pretty cool yeah there's a, there's a bunch of funny stuff too where you know it's like where like uh, when Roger Rabbit is in the bar and he takes a shot. Uh, well, uh, yes. Judge Doom is holding, and you just—it just all goes over his hand. Just the entire thing is on his hand. <laughs> right. And there's a couple things where Bob Hoskins' eyes are just like there's clearly like the tracking. Was I haven't bad. watched it. I haven't watched it recently. It's to, on to Netflix. Just to watch. I, That's I, awesome. Yeah, it's neat too because like seeing it as a person that you know when you live a bit longer and you understand more of like what happened to L.A. and how L.A. got you know to where it is today. Like it's like it's like watching Chinatown. I know, or, but yeah. but just yeah. but just as an animation dork, just watching and seeing like. Uh, Fleischer characters mixed with Warner and and not Warner Brothers characters in the way they do them now, like Warner Brothers characters in the way that Bob, Bob that Bob Clampett drew them. Yep, like really, they really were so thorough and uh, and, and also. Isn't it kind of funny as a side tangent to a side tangent? I guess a tangent really is automatically a it's side to the thing. side of that other tangent. It's, it's it, well, this is a side tangent because it was yes. about. Look at look at the movie franchises that Christopher Lloyd was a part of. Oh, yeah. I mean, Back to the Future, Roger Rabbit, Adam's Family, and then Piranha. Well, Angels in the Outfield. Angels, Angels in the, the Outfield. outfield. <laughs> we have to bring it. We have to. We have to bring him back. Yeah, he's a. Uh, 
He's really good and completely <laughs> crazy, it seems. He's great. He's, he's one of those. You know, we have a list of people like, wouldn't it be great to... Spader was on that list for a long time, and now he's finally, now he's, he's finally yeah, in. He's back. Lloyd is definitely one of those. Being, I mean, Back to the Future is one of the formative experiences of my childhood. Yeah. Love those movies. I love all three of them. I'll defend all three of them. Not two was a little rocky for me because it was so much... Retro exposition. It, it blew my mind. Yeah. It blew my mind. They're going back into the movie. So when I watch that movie, I know that Marty's behind the stage crawling on top. Yeah. I, I can't believe that, it. That, it changes the first cool. movie. Oh, uh, yeah. You. I thought that was so cool. Yeah. When the third movie came out, uh, I was in college, and because uh, they did that thing where they released two and three within like six months of each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah November crazy. and uh, like June. Yeah, and remember, like it was like you would finish two, and then the trailer for the next movie would come out. I remember, I'd never like that blew my mind. Well, I, that and that's and on Captain America: The First Avenger. For those who sat through the credits, we had a a teaser for Avengers. That's right. And I used to go, you know, like Back to Future Three, and people would go, "What?" <laughs> so, would you say that that's where? I certainly, I certainly accepted that as an idea. They did it right after the movie. We did it after the credits, but I thought that was cool. I remember going to see the third Back to the Future, and I took off class that day because they showed the trilogy. So it was at the Cinerama Dome. There was no, none of the rest of the theater, none of the arc light wasn't there yet. So yeah. it was just the dome, and um, sat watched the first movie, and then the second movie, and then they premiered the third movie. I did the exact same thing on the East Coast, but I was in high school, so I had to cut high school. I had to, you know, I snuck out, went to Manhattan, and saw all three movies, wow. and got a T-shirt that I still have somewhere that says "I saw the future back to back to back." Oh wow, that's fucking rad! And I might have even wore my jeans inside out. I have to tell you, oh, that's what all the cool kids are doing. Yeah. That's what the cool kids are doing. In 2015, now. they will. When people would go, "What are you, you doing?" You mean in a year and a couple months? Yeah. Now that's that's something else. Where are the hoverboards? Yeah, but thumbprint entry is going to be a thing by then. I know it. Thumbprint. It's already started. It's, it's already there. It's already yeah. started. Is that the new one? It's already there. Yep. Yeah, nice. I can't yep. wait to hydrate level four. I'm going to make a good. You're going to hydrate the best pizzas. Yeah. <laughs> but they they really missed the boat on screen technology though. Like they missed <laughs> they really just, <laughs> they it was a projector. Did screen. not see. I mean, never mind a fax still coming through. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's okay. Can't get it all right. They yeah. missed the smartphone. They People getting fired instead of laid off. Yeah. Drugs. You know, it's just they didn't really. You know what they did see coming though? They did have the little headsets. You know, like mm-hmm. that's a call for you. Oh, and they did have the the glasses. That's uh, wasn't that the Oculus Rift thing? Right. Was fine? Right. Uh, which I won't be able to do because it'll make me yeah. motion segment. Um, oh, back to the thing though. We were talking about though with the uh, the different element, different characters in a movie from different franchises. Uh, there was a thing I noticed watching it because that, having that in mind of just like when you're a kid, you're just like fucking Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse. Yeah. You know, that's your dream. But then there was a thing I noticed a couple times when there would be like a Warner Brothers and a Disney character in the same shot. You would see one first enter the screen before the other one, but the one that came in second would would talk first. And like it happened with uh, you would see Mickey Mouse first. Bugs Bunny would come in. Bugs Bunny would talk, and then Mickey Mouse would talk. That was all right. It was all contractual, right? Like down yeah, to the that frame. That must have been. We, we, me and like my wife well, were going. It was. Like, I mean, that's why. And that's why the Daffy Duck, Bugs, uh, uh, um, Donald, Donald Duck. Duck. Bohemian Rhapsody, right? Yeah. Or whatever it was called. The uh, yeah, yeah, Hungarian yeah. Rhapsody. I yeah. guess it wasn't the... Uh, <laughs> oh, that <laughs> queen version. That would have been pretty amazing. Uh, Make it but that's that. why. They go, yeah. well, they got to have the exact amount of screen time. Yeah, and then at the very end, it's uh, Porky Pig. He's like, and he's like, hey, get out of here. That's all, folks. And he's like, I like the sound. He turns on, uh, that's all, folks. And then he has the last word. But then Tinkerbell flies in. I forgot And you're the, you see Tinkerbell last. <laughs> all right. You know that's just like... Tons of lawyers, like looking at the minutes in the frames. The fact that it's they true. were even able to agree on all of that 
is insane. Because Mr. Spielberg, I think, gets all the credit for that. Does he get he the credit for that? He was the one who made those, who made all those. People, oh, wow. people, yeah. please! <laughs> He's just like Lincoln. <laughs> Let Zemeckis talk. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have Porky then, Tinkerbell. Uh, uh, a genius. <laughs> I'm very excited to be here, guys. I think this, I listen to the podcast quite often. Oh, wow. And That's this great. is the point in the podcast where people usually go, so when do we start? Are we exactly. recording yet? <laughs> when do we start? Yeah. Yeah. It's when oh, do we, we have been recording. Oh, yeah, or very casual. Or yes, yes. Um, or get out, but it's it's great. And even as I was walking down the hallway and heard you guys talking before I walked in, I was like, "Oh, my, my podcast is playing." The podcast mm-hmm. went live. We're just going to yeah. do them all here for you. Yeah, that'd Man. be wonderful. Yeah, because when I I did the um, thank you for letting me moderate the thank you for moderating the Marvel them. panel at yes. uh, Comic Con. But when I saw you before, and we did the rehear- like the sort of the the rehearsing the beats. Yes. This is going to happen, and um, you mentioned that you listen to the podcast, and I was like, "What?" You know, I mean, it was it really sort of I, I don't know. I mean. The, Obviously, I know that people listen to the podcast, but to us, it's still just a thing that we do to screw around. Sure. Yeah. And so when people are like, oh, and then, and then you had this person and talked about yeah. this, it's still... Because it's this. Yeah. Like, this ones. is as far as we know about it. Yes. It's just in a room with another person. But when someone like you, who actually, who also makes stuff that we enjoy, like, that's always the part that kind of melts our brains. Like, how do you have time to listen to our podcast? Uh, well... Podcasts are very convenient. You put them on your phone, and then in your car, you can listen <laughs> yeah, to them. And now you have a lot of time to listen to them. That's true. That's true, by the way. It's the only reason. I was like, well, at least I'll be able to listen to more uh, podcasts on my commute. Uh, but it's really good. And, and it's uh, uh, whether it's people I haven't heard of, which sometimes you have on. You, yeah. you sort of tapped into a whole comedy thing that I'm not necessarily tapped into. Yeah. Uh, or Stan Lee, who I just listened to that thing you did the other day. And I have to tell you something. It was one of the best. I've heard a lot of Stan Lee interviews, as you can imagine. It's one of the best ones. Oh my god! You yeah, know why? Because I good. think they go on for a while. Yeah. You're in there for what? You know, an hour. There's you no wear them down. Honestly, yeah. So the so the I'm Stan Lee thing that we all know and love, and whenever you meet him, he never disappoints you, which is why he's so amazing because yeah. he's always that. But you guys kept going that you started hearing stories you don't usually hear. Yeah, you did. Which was actually actually amazing. Because, yeah, because you were uh, that was the second time. Yeah, you had met him, so I think there was a bit of more. He didn't remember me though. Nah, he's old. I mean, he didn't remember. He didn't remember the. I mean. He had remembered um, that we had met, but he yeah. didn't remember. I think he does a billion, does trillion so interviews every day. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I, I just figured, I just thought like, oh, if I keep talking to him, sooner or later, I'm going to hit something where the you know the generalissimo walls are going to come down a little bit, and he's going to be were right. and and he did, and it was. Like, he he had to go, but as soon as we hit the part about radio comedy... It was great. It was like, oh, and Jack Benny had this bit... Like, just listening to him go on was... And I've never really heard that. You know, I, I've never necessarily have time, and he certainly has less time than I do, to go to dinner and talk for four hours. So, you know, my only interaction with him are premieres or, or uh, cameos. Oh, yeah. wow. And then it's all just at that heightened Stanley mm-hmm. Stan the Man level. Uh, so I loved hearing those old those old stories. But isn't it interesting that you know um, Stan kind of comes from this uh, sort of uh, P.T. Barnum kind of, and you are, who are in a very similar position, right. you're you know you're a regular guy, and you're like, oh, if someone talks to you, it's like, oh, you answer them, nor-, you know, like there's no there's no heightened Kevin Feige no, character. No, maybe we can develop one together. <laughs> Let's work on it. Let's a workshop some stuff. But the shtick that I found that works, as you have been a big part of, is get onto that stage at Comic Con. Start talking and then cut myself off as soon as possible and have something more interesting happen, which is obviously what we did this year with Loki and what we did last year when when uh, Downey came from the back of the hall. Oh, you know when um, when we did the rehearsal thing and and, uh, and and Hiddleston was there and and 
he was like, this is going to be really fun. And I said, I, I, said, I don't know if you really are, <laughs> understand what's going to happen tomorrow, but it's going to be fucking mind-blowing to you. And he was like, oh, no, I'm sure it'll be great. There's a moment with the video that's oh, online, and there's an angle that you can see of Tom's face when he comes out and says, like, you know, whatever he says, people of Earth or humans or whatever it is, is he says, and they're like, <sighs> like the room rattles, and he can't. This smile, <laughs> he can't stop it from happening, and it's not in character. It's great. But he incorporates it's very endearing. it. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. great. But you can see that he's just like, oh, shit. Because yeah. there's nothing can prepare you for the energy of Hall H it's when it's great. firing on all cylinders. It's pretty great. And to be a part of that and, be, and to be able to share, you know, even just bringing Joss on at the end. That was amazing. Like, Joss could have just said, hey, guys, I'm having a sandwich, and people would have just their <laughs> pants. That's all. That was the original idea. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I guess something. We better come up with a name yeah, for this yeah. movie. Is it gonna be a good sandwich? Like a good sandwich? <laughs> Is it gonna be like Age of Ultron sandwich sandwich? <laughs> Age of Ultron. Um, so when you're putting together uh, a panel for you know like what sort of your What's your philosophy, and what do you you know what do you feel is important? What makes a good panel for you? Well, uh, I've always believed that it's the footage that that's all anyone ultimately cares about in that uh, in that hall is having great footage. So we spe- so you know we're scheduling Edgar is in a couple of hallways down in our new offices here with Joe Wright working on Ant Man. Ant Man, officially started uh, pre production. He I think he even tweeted something to that to that extent. Um, and as we start looking at what the schedule could be. One of the first questions is, well, what moments would we want in the Comic-Con reel? Mm-hmm. And schedule those up front or at least get them, if they're all CG, get them in the pipeline quickly. So you can do things like have the Mandarin blow up Tony's house in the Comic-Con footage a year before the movie comes out. That's because we put that in the pipeline early. They're difficult shots. We want them to be great in the final movie. But if we start them you know, five, six months ahead, we can have something ready. If you actually were to go back and look at the Comic-Con clip and look at the final clip, they've evolved. But they feel real enough. That's for the, crazy. For so that. even when you're in production on a movie that like is crazy enough, you have to step back and go, "Well, wait, let's shoot this part first. Totally because of that's where the PT percent right comes in. Hundred percent right. Because that's like there's right. enough to worry about just making a movie of that fucking size. But look, going back to when uh, when uh, Favreau you know walked out uh, and surprised the crowd in uh, whatever it was 2007. Um, and we had footage for Iron Man. That's really what, you know, we look at that moment as one of the key moments kicking off, you know, Marvel Studio as, it, as its own entity and as our own thing. So Comic-Con is always a huge, huge part of, yeah. of the campaign. And oftentimes, uh, that's the beginning R&D for the actual campaign, for the actual trailer. I mean, I do, we, sometimes we do, think, we do things catered to the 7,000 people in that hall. But the odds are if they love that, the general audience will love it, yeah. too. You can get a little more inside baseball down there. Uh, and you can have things like Peter Quill flick off the, the audience as he does uh, in the Guardians reel this year. Um, I don't know that that will be in the mainstream trailer necessarily. Uh, but it's like a big focus group almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's worked out well. And then, and then it's how do you bring you know, the, just the, the panel out there. And it, it is more isn't necessarily better, which is why we decided on. And when you have somebody like Hiddleston who's up for that kind of thing and I knew you know, would kill it in front of those people and was willing to put on the outfit. Uh, well, that's great. I, I, as, a, as a moderator, I, I like the, the clip that it moves in that, you know, we had essentially an hour and I think five, four or five titles to get through. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's great about that is that, um, you know, it, you can have a giant, when you have like a giant cast, 
and you have an hour to fill. It's like, you know, the panel's long, people, like the, the table of people's long, they can't all hear each other. Yeah. It's like, you're sort of, you can sort of plod through it, but with, you know, when you have to get through, it's like everyone gets 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. It's a great... Yeah. Because, frankly, it's the footage and it's the fact that the people are there. Yeah. That there's that, that, that person that I've seen on that screen is sitting up on that stage. Yeah. Even if they look tiny if you're at the back of the hall. Yeah. Everything past that is sort of gravy. So the actual Q&A and telling stories is... is a bonus, but you don't need a lot of it. And sometimes you have a great moment like Karen taking off her wig and throwing it <laughs> to the audience. <laughs> or Batista telling, you know, a legitimately heart, uh, uh, endearing story about how he was cast. Yeah. You know, that's stuff you can't. I'd love to say we can plan for everything and I produce it all beforehand, but those are the moments that are, that are nice. I did like the Karen. We talked about this in a. At our podcast from Comic Con, but she threw a wig into the audience and immediately was like, I should probably get that back. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't throw it to them. Well, by the way, and it speaks to the fans who are there that they brought it back. Yeah, yeah they did. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But how many hairs were missing? Come on. Yeah. I mean, how many? I saw them on eBay, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but Guardians is, is, uh, looks, I, you know, James Gunn managed to cobble something together in no time. They'd only just started shooting. We had been shooting for 13 days. Um, and that was the that was the footage. Now there were a couple of makeup tests that we shot on film that we included in that. There was a visual effects test that we included in that, and that and we had moved up in the schedule that uh, sort of usual suspects lineup mm-hmm. that was that was the framework for that piece to very early in the schedule specifically so it would be ready for Comic Con. It looks what I, I'm a huge fan of James's, yeah. and I think um, has he been on the podcast? Yeah, he's been yeah. on yeah. Well, a couple early times. On. I think early on yeah. too. Yeah, I just love that it's like. It's he's for all intents and purposes he's like he's kind of an indie director. Yeah, you know, like he came up through Trauma and then his all the movies he made are all pretty small, you know, and you know like not small like it just like you know the, his the focus of it is just very. He's got the same thing that Raimi had going into Spider Man. Yeah, yeah. Well, That's no, sort of had some pretty big stuff before that. He right? did, but he always had that sensibility. There, yeah. there, there was always a very grounded sensibility to what he was doing. And 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 a, and a layer of, and just that I think when you put like a funny guy, like when you put a guy that has humor behind an action movie, there's just something about it that just it, it just it covers all the bases. It's great, and then and, and James is the total package. So you have you know sometimes you have people who are really good at one thing, which is the thing we want, and then we sort of supply the rest of the spectacle and the size and the scope. James is great at, at all of it, and is really That's today's great. his last. I mean, this week is his last week. He finishes on Friday. Oh, his, really? Uh, his yeah. Instagram pictures from where he's been staying in uh, in England has has been so gorgeous, <laughs> and it's just like it's just this like picturesque thing. And then he has a bunch of like pictures of him with all the animals. <laughs> like he, yeah. like he just has the animals hanging out all the time. He's got a bit of a Doctor Doolittle thing. So, going. so Guardians yeah. is interesting. Did you feel? Do you feel that? Did you feel that that tackling Guardians as a movie was going out on a limb a little bit uh, for the for the, like the the widespread audiences or what was sort? Of, I mean, obviously, you guys want to start some new uh, series. Yeah. So what? I don't think it's going out on a limb any more than the first Iron Man was. That's true. And frankly, it's it's less because the entire fate of the studio uh, hinged on on that. That and Incredible <laughs> How Hulk. How does that feel? And at by the, the way? time, by the way, at the time, Incredible Hulk felt like the okay. That's the everybody knows the Hulk. Hulk's you know popular character. It's this Iron Man thing that's the that's the risk. When you when you okay, so let's back up even further. So when you when you were uh, when you guys were making Iron Man, did you really didn't know if it was gonna? I mean, you must have thought. You know, I think this movie is good, but you still felt like, but I don't know if anyone's going to watch it. 
No, and if you look at, at movies that weren't called Spider-Man uh, uh, up until that point, Marvel movies that weren't Spider-Man, um, you know, the high end was, was – and a first movie, never mind a part two. But first movies were, you know, they had done 150, 170 yeah. uh, at the domestic box office. Uh, so that's sort of what we were aiming for. It's got to be at least around that. I guess that's true. And And at the time, Iron Man wasn't really at the forefront of – no, really not anything. at all. And the and the Comic Con of two thousand six, I think it was when we when we went up onto it wasn't Hall H. It was in one of the I don't know two thousand person ballrooms, and it was me ballroom twenty. And it was yeah, and it was uh, uh, Favreau talking about Iron Man, revealing you know we don't start for a while, but the one thing we can definitely tell you is the Mandarin will be the villain. <laughs> that was the one thing we thought. Like, at least we can tell him that. That'll that'll stay. We hadn't cast it yet. We hadn't done anything. Um, and then obviously that changed. Uh, and Louis Leterrier was up there. We were talking about the Incredible Hulk. And Edgar Wright was up there talking about Ant Man. Ant Man, even back then. Yeah, two thousand six. Two thousand six. Those were the three the three filmmakers we had up there to talk about what we thought would be sort of our first three and he, movies. And, and he, that was like right after Sean, then right or right after soon Hulk, after right? Sean. Yeah. 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 And and, he, and it just sort of kept getting pushed, and he was like he wasn't happy with the script, and they kept working on well, it. Well, he and he yeah, and he went into from Hot Fuzz to Scott Pilgrim to, to World's End. Yeah. And we had a lot of things going on, so it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't pressing. Yeah. And, and everything will work out timing-wise. But at that point, I think it was, I don't remember who, LA Times or somebody did a story saying Marvel calls out the B team, like, like Iron Man. And like we're really, we don't have the big guns, so we have to try to make do with, with, the, with the B team. And I remember thinking, I, I don't think they're the B team. Now, when those, when, those, when those movies started to hit, <clears throat> did you pick up a pile of dog shit with that newspaper article and nail it back to the LA Times? Or? No, I, we like it. I, you know, we like being... <laughs> And it doesn't necessarily apply so much. Um, but we like being the underdog. We like expectations being exceeded. Low so that you can... Totally. Yeah. 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 And, and with Avengers, that was not possible. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, it was... Uh, it, that's a comfort zone. And going back to Guardians, it feels like a similar thing for us. People didn't know what Iron Man was. Certainly some fans did, and, and, and there were more people knew who Iron Man was than Guardians, probably. But if you talk about the mass movie going public, nobody knew yeah. who it was. Um, so we're very comfortable being back in that. You'll see. You know, let us. You don't need to think much of it now. Wait until you see what what, what what we have. Jonah started going to the gym after Chris Pratt took those selfies. It's yeah, you know, like the next. He's amazing. I was on a trip, eating like an asshole, and then like uh, I was just you know had heartburn in bed at a hotel, and then I see his Instagram picture. I was like, well, that's the end of that. Because I always like, I was like, ah, he's like a schlubby guy that got on TV. He, he's gonna be, a, he's all right. And then all of a sudden, he's fucking ripped. 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 Piece ripped. of shit. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's a full time gig being in that kind of shape. You yeah, know what he, I mean? uh, he's working out twice a day, and then he just stopped drinking beer completely. Well, and I see what he eats. And as a matter of fact, I won't. On my iPhone, I have a picture of his uh, uh, birthday cake, which was presented to him uh, on the first or second day of filming in uh, in June. And it was a tray with vegetables spelling out happy birthday. <laughs> Jesus. That's what it was. It's you know, fun. it's not <laughs> fun. But you know what is fun? Being in the Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Yeah, so yeah, it's sort I'm of sure worth it. Sure it was a it's an okay trade-off. But, um, but you, you've really been at the forefront of certainly the transformation of what we would call nerd culture to, to mainstream pop culture. Since you, you were involved back with X-Men and sure. Spider-Man and... and and that was; those are really the points where Comic Cons 
stopped becoming they 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 were stopped being just like comic book conventions and really became like pop culture conventions like that was around the shift 2000 2001 um and you've 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 been there the whole time and witnessed the the transformation uh, yeah i was certainly i was sort of in the uh in the in the background on the for those first few years happily so um for, i think the first comic con i went to was in 2000 and uh actually 2000 because we didn't we didn't bring X-Men 1 there. But X-Men 1 had come out in uh, whatever it was, second or third week in July. And then the Comic-Con was the next weekend, I think. Mm-hmm. And we went down there and just wandered around. And, and, and uh, Brian Singer came down. Um, because we, weren't, we didn't know how people would respond to the movie. So I think Brian was like, I'm not going to go down. They're like, who knows? Let's wait and see. Um, and luckily, it, it, uh, it went over well. So we didn't do anything official there. But that was the first time I sort of just wandered around. Um, or I might have gone. Maybe I went, maybe I went a year before that. And really just wandered around. Were you worried about backlash? Just because this was like kind of like the first. Sure, really big... sure. And that was the you know the X Men One was in production in 1999, um, like September 99 to March 2000 for July 2000 release, and it was the birth of Inical News and all of this sort of people on the internet are talking about what we're doing now. Yeah. Um, and if you remember, there was a. Nobody would remember this, but there was a photo of Hugh in the Wolverine costume, stolen Polaroid, stolen off of a wardrobe cart. And on movies, for continuity, after every scene, um, uh, a costume person or makeup person will just go, uh, hang on, and just snap a photo under the fluorescent lights just to match, to make sure, okay, your collar was, left collar was up, right collar was down, to match it for the scenes. So they're not meant for public view. That was the first uh, picture that anybody had seen. So clearly, it was a horrible picture. <laughs> so what are this black leather? And he looks, he's, he's too tall, and he looks terrible. And this was sort of learning to deal with, with, with all of this. And at some point, I was sort of like, this is just the way it is. We have to embrace it. And I think, as a matter of fact, we read that story. I think I brought my laptop down and showed it to Brian um, when we were filming a scene of all the X-Men together in the X-Jet. And Brian came up with this line of Wolverine sort of being uncomfortable and making fun of the of the outfit and Cyclops or somebody says, what would you prefer, yellow spandex? Yeah. Oh, yeah that yeah. was directly because of the fan reaction wow. to that, to that, that Polaroid. I remember that joke hitting hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, it was good. I, always, I remember when I first heard about uh, Hugh Jackman being uh, Wolverine, I, there was a little bit of me going... I really wish it was going to be Glenn Danzig. Oh, the Glenn Danzig, yes. <laughs> I thought it, I thought yes. it should, I thought it was, should have been like Bob Hoskins, like going back to <laughs> yeah. you know just like uh, uh, just, uh, just like this basically this little yeah. Um, yeah. you know like hedgehog. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yep. You know, but um, but it really you know that you say the birth of Ain't Cool and all these and this sort of what later became the like the really the blogosphere. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that was right around the same time of like people really kind of widely getting broadband, like where. In internet culture really started yep. to open up. Connections yep. got faster. People were putting video. Like it was, it was more because when you think about what superhero, like it, now it's just so much a part of oh the superhero. It's a genre, but at the time it certainly had been a genre. But but you know there weren't in the nineties like what you know besides like Blade. I, I don't know like what what superhero what what superhero movies in the nineties really hit big. No, I mean, it was, the, it was the, the continuation of the Batman franchise and then leading to Batman and Robin, which, of course, underperformed. You mean the deterioration of the Batman that franchise? Was, Correct. That was the <laughs> Correct. Uh, and, uh And I really do think it was the failure of that, or the disappointment of that movie that helped Brian be able to go, no, let's, I want to do it a little differently. Let's, it's not just about 
about you know uh, colored uh, lights in the background and as many villains as you can put in it. it, it you know, it's focusing on on what it was. And the movie didn't cost very much, so Fox sort of believed that uh, that okay, this isn't. They had a few other movies that year that they thought would sort of their 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 big uh, uh, you know big home runs. Um, so X Men was sort of able to just sort of get made and didn't cost that much and didn't. Uh, I mean, it costs very little uh, compared to things today. Um, but that allowed Brian to focus on the characters and to start in a concentration camp yeah. with a boy being pulled away from his, from his parents. Yeah. Um, which is, I, mean, we remember, I remember thinking, I don't know if that's going to work. Or thinking it was awesome, but are, are the audience going to storm out at that point? But it was, it's funny that, you know, Batman Begins got a lot of the credit for bringing, like, you know, a darker tone to, like, comic book movies. And they were just essentially basing that off of what the Batman franchise had become. But I think, like, a lot of people kind of, like, forget that, like, exactly what you're saying, that X-Men started at a constant... You can't get darker than right. the fucking Holocaust. Right. Well, what's but, what's... but what's... I thought what was brilliant about it is that it actually, in... Um, it humanized the superhero characters and didn't exactly. make them one dimensional. It's like you totally, you totally understood why Magneto was doing what he was doing. That he wasn't Absolutely. just a villain yeah. who was an asshole. It was like I'm going to make their problem. I'm going to make our problem their problem, so that we won't be. So that this will never happen again. An Absolutely. actual character, yeah. Or or, or uh, meeting uh, Wolverine for the first time in that bar when he was doing the boxing brawl, which was an idea that Brian had over the Christmas break. That was not in the script. Again, we started, I think, in September until March, and it was Christmas break, the hiatus, that that idea came up. And it was great, and something I love is when he's in the car with Rogue, and, and she looks at his hands and says, does it hurt? Every and, time. Every time. Yeah, yeah. And we were like, yes, because he's real, and because it's, yes. you know. <laughs> <he's> <laughs> that's what would happen. Yes. That's what would happen if you had claws in your hands. Absolutely. Hand. it came out. So what did you what did you learn from those movies, and, and what, you know, when you when did you start to realize, like, Oh, I think this is actually a movement that's happening now, as opposed to just a bunch of movies that were being made. I never looked at it as a movement or any sort of conscious effort. It was, you know, I was twenty-seven or something when, uh, when uh, my boss at the time, Lauren Schuler Donner, who's producer on the X Men films, said, "You said because I had shown an interest in it, and I started doing notes on the scripts, even though nobody asked me." Um, <laughs> and she was gracious enough to read them and start inviting me to meetings and said, okay, go to Toronto and be an associate producer, no which is sort of the low, low man on the, on the producerial totem pole. Well, it was great because I was up there the whole time and got along with, uh, with Brian Singer and Tom DeSanto and David Hayter and sort of the, the brain trust at that time of that, of that first film. Um, and it was an amazing – and Ralph Winter, who was producing, it was an amazing experience up there. Uh, so to me, it was always like, that was really fun. I really am proud of this. I want to do it again. Oh, it's X-Men 2, I figured, would be the next thing. It ended up being uh, Spider-Man because Avi Rod, who I got to know very well while doing X-Men 1, said, hey, do you want to come out here and do for sort of all these movies what you did for X-Men? I said, yes. <laughs> yes, please. Uh, so to me, it was always just, I hope this one works so we can make another one. Yeah. And it still is like that today. I hope this works so we, can, so we can do another one. And we don't spend a lot of time talking about Guardians of the Galaxy 2 or Guardians of the Galaxy 3. We spend all the time thinking about part one knowing that if that works, then we'll be lucky enough to, to go do another one. Yeah. But, but that experience through the X-Men films and the Spider-Man films, and then you get into the Fantastic Four films and the Daredevil films and Elektra, and you start to realize, all of which made money, which allowed Marvel to have the clout to get enough financing to do it ourselves. But you also start to realize sort of why creatively we wanted to now do it ourselves. Yeah. Uh, and say, we think, you know, very proud of, of some of those movies, 
less proud of other of those films. Um, and, and, and being very excited to have all of the blame on our shoulders. Exactly. So in other words, if there was a part of a movie that people didn't like, oftentimes I'd go, I know we fought against it, but we, couldn't, we didn't have the power. And we were very excited to say, oh, if there's something you don't like, it's our fault. Right. Yeah. If, if Iron Man hadn't worked because of X, Y or Z, we'd say we thought X, Y, Z would work. We were wrong. Sorry. We were com- I was completely comfortable with that and still am. Well, it's because at least it's coming from a place of, you know, we were going to try. We were going for something. We were trying something. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to some decisions in the past are made on uh, who's the hot actor or actress on this show or who's the or, or people. This movie just did well over the weekend. Here's a note on Monday morning to change your uh, entire franchise to try to match more of that. We don't spend a lot of time chasing things um, other than the idea that excites us. Well, you don't want the marketing department making your decisions. Yeah. <laughs> and, then you, and then you feel, you know, like if you're a fan, you don't have to explain to your fans, like, because it's terrible when you do it and then it doesn't work and you knew it wouldn't work, but you had to do it anyway. And you're exactly. like, shit, I'm so, oh, man. No, no, no. There's yeah, we, no. we sort of vowed not to let that happen. And we were lucky in that the first movie to come out with what we believed was our instincts on how we could, how we could do this. There, there were a lot of X-Men, uh, sorry, uh, Iron Man scripts developed before what became the, the Iron Man movie, um, updating the origins and, and, and changing it to this or changing it to that. And one of the first things we said, and, and Favreau said when he came in for a meeting was, no, this is great. Shouldn't, just update it. It's Afghanistan instead of Vietnam. He's in yeah. a convoy. He gets wounded. It's, it's perfect. Um, and just staying true to those sort of things. And when you when you guys went with Favreau, was that kind of in the same vein of like when you went with Sam Raimi, like or just like it's like this guy kind of he knows story, he knows like he knows how to like. Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't I, I, hiring Sam was before before me. Yeah. I, I think it was a great choice, but I, I I wasn't involved in it. But seeing how that worked and worked yeah. very well, and even Brian, which I, again I didn't hire, him, but I was around for for that. Yeah, process. you saw the process of that. Yeah, it made sense. Hire people who are smart and are talented and are good at. At something, uh, not just good at an effect shot or good at mounting a big spectacle. Yeah, like this guy. Most of our directors movies. aren't yeah. good at that. Yeah, um, yeah. Or, or haven't shown yet, or hadn't had the opportunity to show that they were good at that yet. Um, Shane Black, most recently on Iron Man three, hadn't done a lot of that. But sitting in as he was scripting sequences, I think Iron Man three action sequences are some of the most clever and inventive sequences we've ever oh, had. Yeah. And that came from he and Drew Pierce sitting down and writing it, having no idea how to execute it at all. Yeah. Um, uh, and then we. You know, help I think that's always a good thing too for you know when uh, if you're you're just writing and then you you don't know the technical aspects so you don't know how hard something might be exactly so you just go and you make the best thing you could and then it, you know then you have to hand it off to another guy who's like fuck you I can't make this but it's like when you don't have any boundaries you're like you're free to have your mind go and make something as like fresh and new and that's where we always start now then the budget comes in reality comes in but frankly they're so. A, our budgets are not small anymore, and VFX can do almost anything now. So yeah. you just got to figure out a way. It's not about, hey, can we pull this off? It's how can we pull this off in a way that feels real enough? Yeah. Uh, and in the case of the Barrel of Monkey sequence in Iron Man 3, it was throw 10 people out of a plane eight times a day for, for, for a week. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and you don't have to say which ones, but kind of going back to the, the movies that you said over the years didn't really work. I think you and your audience can I, guess. I think we all know. I think you can guess. I think we all know which ones we're talking but, for. And it also is saying that, that when, when Marvel Studios got the... the uh, fin- Iron Man and The Incredible Hulk were independent films, which people forget. We had a completion bond, which means it's an insurance company to make sure that, that you... Uh, 
uh, finish the movie because they don't trust you. You haven't necessarily had the experience to, to finish and deliver a movie. So the insurance company, or maybe it's the financiers. I don't know. I'm not the business guy necessarily. Um, uh, we'll check it out. And that was how we thought we were going to make all of our movies. Uh, and Iron Man 1 was successful enough that they sort of paid off the financing and then we just did <laughs> it all ourselves. And then obviously the Disney uh, um, uh, bought us. So now it's we're not independent anymore, but, but, it's, why but we operate it, that but way. But why doesn't... Um why doesn't a movie work? But in your in your estimation, when the ones that failed, what was it? Can, can you identify it into one or two points, or well, just the, like yeah, some things just don't work? I think there are a million reasons, but but what we sort of distilled it down to was a lack of confidence in the underlying source material, and that that source material itself being the selling point, being the most interesting thing about it. Uh, so when you know you look at the casts of most of our movies, um, they're not the hottest marquee star of the of the day. They are now in the sequels because, thankfully, if a movie works, Robert is the biggest star in the world now. Yeah. That was not the case at, at the time. Um, it's actually kind of a risky to put him in the movies. A- absolutely. Yeah, and, and we had a lot... like rebirth, pretty much. Yeah, and we had a lot of discussions, and there were a lot of you know people, uh, uh, understandably, whose job it was to make sure that we uh, repay that money and don't, uh, don't lose the rights to the characters, which I think is what would have happened if the movies didn't work. Um, uh, who were obviously going, I've heard of that person for one reason. Right. <laughs> and you go, no, never mind. And that's one of the reasons we did a screen test, and Robert did, a, you know, a, as we expected, a spectacular job, of which there was no question that, that, the, that the risk became not hiring him as opposed to, as opposed to hiring him. But, but that's because we believed that the Marvel name and the Iron Man character would sell the movie. That's all you need to, to sell the movie if we do our jobs right. Um, and that sometimes, or at least used to not necessarily be the case, which is why you had people changing things or casting people that may or may not have been the best fit based on who the characters were in the books. Yeah. Um, well, it probably is, when you kind of look back, it's sort of interesting that <laughs> the character of Robert Downey Jr., there was a little bit of crossover to Tony Stark. Like, there was a... Absolutely. I yeah. mean, it wasn't, like, it wasn't like he had to play a monk. Right. You know, like, he sort of played this that guy. Um and you know, I'm sure. I'm sure in his own life he overcame much darker obstacles. But still, that idea that there was a little, there was something a little dirty behind him, is sort of like it really yeah. kind of helped the character. Yeah, absolutely. And I wouldn't say that was the primary reason. We just knew he was engaging, and that we wanted Tony Stark. Tony Stark is kind of a prick, right? Yeah. I mean, he kind of rides that line, and Downey is very, very good at at riding that line and maintaining his likability. Still being likable, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. it's pretty unbelievable. he had to for most of his life, just being like a, like a crazy alcoholic, but still like charming people into giving him work. Well, and that's, and that's why it's very different than, you, you know, you, uh, you look at certain celebrity scandals and it's very hard to come back from because it involved other people or hurting or insulting other people. Robert, that was never the case. It was always a self-destructive thing that yeah. people thought, oh, this guy's so talented. Um, you, you know, talking about the likability factor... Uh, one of the one of the, maybe the first idea that that I remember Favreau having in an early meeting was to start the movie with the convoy attack on uh, on Tony Stark, and then go back and see how he got to that point, and then jump up to real time and continue the movie. And that's the way it is. You remember he's he's uh, he's attacked in that convoy. He's charming for a few lines, which he mentions MySpace, which is already dated us, <laughs> um, and uh, and he gets blown up. And I remember loving loving. The notion, which evolved a little bit later, of going from the hero of the movie, bleeding, tied to a chair, scared shitless, 
and then slamming to our title. Oh, nice. Like, yeah, how, yeah. like you've never seen that before, so I thought it was cool. Yeah. Um, but we got some notes. We, we were in a position then and now that we don't necessarily have to take a lot of outside notes, if any, but I always want to hear them because I, I don't go, no, we're smarter than everyone. I always want to hear the notes. And we got a few people saying, hey, you know, you should try linear structure. And John was like, no, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. And I thought, we probably don't need to do that. But I asked an assistant editor to cut it like that so I could watch the first act as if it were linear, which is to say starting in Vegas yep. and then continuing. And after about 10 minutes, I said, no, turn it off, turn it off. The genius of, of the way Favre wanted to do that was you immediately empathize with this guy yeah. who you know is going to be dying tied to a chair. So when he's a jackass in Vegas and to the Leslie Bibb character and to Gwyneth uh, to a lesser extent in the early sequence – you tolerate it because you know what's coming. Yeah, yeah. But, bef- but if you don't, it sort of was too far in the other. Then he's just the hell is good. He's blown up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how involved are you with, um, you know, with a project when you guys take it on? Are you uh, – how, how involved are you versus how much – how do you know when to trust the director and go, okay, you, you, you well, know Well, we're, we're, we're very involved in on, and on each of the uh, – there's uh, our co-president, Ludi Esposito. There's each of our executive producers – Jeremy Latcham, in the case of Iron Man 1, Iron Man 2, Avengers. He's doing Guardians and Avengers 2 now. Or Stephen Broussard, who did Incredible Hulk and Captain America and uh, Iron Man 3. Craig Kyle on the, on the uh, Thor movies. Um, uh, so they're always there uh, every day of production, every day of the entire movie from, from before we've hired any writers or directors through to the premiere of the, premiere of the movie. So we're very involved every, every single day. I tend to be more involved in the development uh, in pre-production, sort of making sure all the ducks are in a row, then less involved in production itself, mainly because we usually have uh, multiple things going on, mm-hmm. and that's where we trust the director to 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 do what they do on set and interact with the actors, and then in post we're there every day. Yeah. Uh, uh, in post is where we're. Mo- I Brian Singer used to say in my early. Uh, uh, experiences in the business that you make the movie three times. You make one movie in pre-production, you make another movie in production, and then you finally make another movie in post-production. Well, the movie you make in post-production is the movie the audience is going to see. <laughs> uh, so that's the that's my favorite time. And then I can be in a room with like four people in the dark all day instead of interacting with lots of human beings in the daytime. <laughs> but again, you still have to... I mean, the, there is that element of... You still have to have a little bit of faith or trust in yourself. Like, what... Because... You know, I feel like a lot of times I'll think something is an amazing idea and then execute it, and then it turns out, oh, that was not a good right. idea at all. Right. How could I have ever thought that, that people would like that thing? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you, you need to have enough uh, confidence and support from other people to allow you to figure that out, to make those, to make those mistakes. We make those mistakes all the time. We just try not to leave those mistakes in the final version of the movie that goes out. But there are enough times that – and even stuff that I go, this is going to be dumb. This is going to be stupid. And a director sort of fights for it. And I go, okay. And it ends up being one of the greatest things in the whole movie. Right. So, so I've learned to sort of – and that's really, again, getting back to post. And that's why we, you know, there's a, we do a lot of additional photography on our movies by design. Um, and there's a handful of scenes that always get left on the cutting room floor because you don't know what's going to work or what's not going to work. Um, uh, and, you know, it's a luxury to sort of be able to, to go through that process. We build additional photography time into our initial schedule because we don't know what it will be, but we know it will be something. Every yeah. movie we've ever made has had between three days and 15, 20 days of additional photography, which, is, which we always say additional photography instead of reshoots because reshoots means uh, it didn't <laughs> yeah, work, so you're yeah, doing it again. Yeah. And, and maybe once in a while that happens, but, it, but traditionally it's just we have a new idea. 
yeah. or, or something was working really well, better than we anticipated, let's keep going down that road and see where that takes us. Oh, it could take us to this. Go shoot a new scene. Was there something that you loved that you, that you can think of from any of the films that you were like, oh, this is going to be awesome, and they shot it and it was awesome, and then in the movie, for whatever reason, it just didn't work, and, you're, and you kind of felt like, damn it, this, was there anything that you uh, think of? Again, most of that stuff does not end up in the final version of the movie. Yeah. Uh, so we have a little, a little phrase uh, in editorial, which is, when in doubt, take it out. Just take it out. Yeah. Uh, you know, even like a goofy line or a cheesy line that doesn't work, just take it out. Yeah. yeah. And then the character, usually you can get through an expression, let the audience read into what the character is saying instead of leaving in a, I just saw a movie I will not name on the plane coming back from London yesterday. And the line was so dumb that I thought just, if they had just taken that out. <laughs> because when you leave a line like that in, that, that, sh- that means we think this is cool. Right, yeah. we like this. It can do a lot of it can do a lot of damage to the surrounding minutes. Yeah, like yeah. backwards yeah. and forwards. Just, oh, what the? Oh, yeah, or better, like, we have a, we have an editor we work with who says better to have sort of no joke at this period than a swing and a miss. Right. Yeah, yeah. Because there's a thing where you're watching a movie and you just go, oh, what? And then, you, and then you're thinking about it. For you the almost feel a little minutes. betrayed. Right. You yeah. almost, you're like, you're right. not the yeah. thing I thought you yeah. were. Right. How could you do this to me? Why would you? And I'm sure that, you know, I'm sure you can point to any of our movies and find stuff like that. You know, we can't uh, or we or we like it and the audience doesn't like it. But uh, but uh, there are not many that end up in the movies that I can that I can point to like that. I guess the fight between Rhodey and Tony in Iron Man 2, um, I thought was going to be the greatest thing in the world Two heroes bashing each other. And I think it's pretty cool, but I wouldn't say it was it was uh, uh, as you know, memorable as the barrel monkey sequence in Iron Man Three. Yeah, yeah. Which at first we were like, "How's that going to look?" Iron Man carrying thirteen people. What is that? Uh, and uh, and I think it ended up very, very cool. It was very cool. Why do you think the third of I mean, obviously like you know trilogies are just accepted now? Like right. when we were growing up, a tri- you know, I'm like what? Yeah. And they're like, "Oh, Godfather Two. Okay, yeah. I get it. You know, Superman Two. Okay." But then, but the idea of a trilogy, like now when you make a movie, it's like, okay, you're going to sign on for potentially these three movies. What is it about um, the third of a movie that is the most challenging? Because those are a lot of times; those are the ones where you're like, "Oh, yeah, it was all right," but you know, it wasn't. Is it because we're not surprised anymore? I think I don't know. I mean, you know, there had been somebody coined online the term "threequelitis," and and I would say there were a few of our movies, um, the Marvel movies, that you can look at as having threequelitis: Spider-Man three, X-Men three, and there are a million reasons for for all of that. but I want to avoid that on, on Iron Man 3. And I thought we had a, a, a secret weapon, which was the Avengers coming between Iron Man 2 and Iron Man 3. Never mind how successful the Avengers, we couldn't have predicted that. and You'd be foolish to predict that level of success. But I thought it would be good because it would be a bit of a, a palate cleanser between Iron Man 2 and Iron Man 3 and allow you to not just go, oh, well, well here's, here's the culmination of a trilogy. Right. And if we're culminating a trilogy, then these are the kind of things that have to happen when you culminate in a trilogy. Maybe it's the last one. Maybe it's this. We knew it wouldn't be the last one. And the fact that Avengers, it was really a part four uh, in a way. And if you look at you know, some successful part fours, it's th- sometimes they're better than threes because they're liberated from the sense of, a, of a completing a beginning, middle, and end. Yeah. And they do... Let's go find whales in San Francisco in 1986. Um, that's cool. Uh, uh, you we'll know? Just uh, slingshot yeah. around the sun. Yeah. That should take us back yeah, in time yeah. just fine, right, uh, guys? Uh, so, so we knew that we had that, <laughs> that that could allow us to sort of uh, 
hit the reset button on uh, on Tony, and, and we ended up obviously taking it right out of Avengers and, and his angst and his uh, and his anxiety and, and going with that, and then trying something different and and putting Tony in a position that we hadn't uh, seen him uh, uh, in since the first act of Iron Man One. We used to say that Iron Man Three sort of returned to this. He's back in the cave. He's he's lost. His house is blown up. He's lost his suit. Doesn't work, and he's got to go uses ingenuity to, to get out of a out of a situation and just treat it as a as sort of a character study when you hire Shane Black you hire him to be clever and ingenious with sequences and do a sort of a character study yeah. well I think one of the things that is uh, that has been essential in the uh, Kevin Feige world that we inhabit now is that it's sort of like what you said that um you're essentially creating these this universe that the movies are really just different touch points of the universe. It sort of operates the way that comic books operate. hundred percent. That you're following these just these different perspectives. They're all actually you're they're, they're, you're on like the ninth or tenth. Like you're all just different aspects of these characters, but all part of one unified thing. Well, that was always the great. That was it was always secondary, but it was always one of the most interesting things to me when we became Marvel Studios is. Well, yes, we don't have the rights to Spider-Man or to X-Men or to Fantastic Four or, at the time, um, Daredevil and a few others. Um, But look at all this that we have. And in that 2006 Comic-Con piece, somebody asked me about Avengers, and I said, well, and we had no firm plans at all at that point. Uh, But we have Iron Man, we have Hulk, we have Captain America, we have Thor. Put them together. Who do you got? So, so it was always sort of the promise of what it could be that, A, we can make the movies the way we believe they should be made. And if they stink, it's our fault. Instead of going, I know it wasn't. I tried to convince them. Um, uh, and that someday we could, we could weave it in, which is, of course, what the, what the Sam Jackson was all about. The end of Iron Man 1, saying you're the part of a big universe. You just don't know it yet. Yeah. Um, that was us going, this could be really cool. And I hope audiences think it's cool. And thank, thankfully they did. But then people sometimes go, when did you first think to put them all together? I said, I didn't think of that. They, that's what the comics. Yeah, that's, it was already there. I'm just replicating that. Well, what yeah. the genius thing about it is that it allows you to, you know, when you feel like you've reached the end of some franchises, is weave in, like, you know, can you tie in Ant-Man? Can you tie right. in? That they're all just a part of this thing that people are just, you know, all going down corridors of the same house. Um, and I hadn't thought about it before as far as threequelitis of, like, Oh, they're just trying. I mean, like, you know, how long had Sam Raimi been with, you know, he'd been with Spider-Man how many years at that point? Yeah. And it's sort of like by the Seven third years. one, uh, you know, what do you do? And so, yeah, you do that thing that that the Batman franchises suffer from, which is in lieu of maybe having a way to make it fresh, just go, well, let's just bring in like four, four different storylines and just put it up there and just be done with it, right. you know? Right. Or why in X3... Does fucking why does Logan not why does he kill Phoenix why doesn't he just they're standing on a pile of mutant <laughs> cure why does he just pick it up and be like cut it out and then she has no more crazy telekinetic powers and then she's just normal again and then they can just kind of rekindle their you know you know like why did they okay I'm sorry I don't that's not your problem I don't know why I'm throwing that at your face that would be. Like, uh, honest trailers didn't exist back then. <laughs> but they could have done a heck. Of, I'm not sure they'll go back and do that now, but it'd be a good one. But but the idea that you know that it doesn't have to be like oh you don't have to conclude the story right now and make some grand point at the right. end. It's like oh this is now it's gonna this chapter is gonna pick up over here with these these other characters. A lot of that is is uh, as you were saying, you know the the notion of a trilogy went from what's a trilogy, and then of course we all grew up and Star Wars was embedded in us, and and it was. 
oh, that's a trilogy. And it culminates and you defeat the Death Star and then you celebrate with the Ewoks. That's what it, that's how a trilogy uh, that's how a trilogy <laughs> that's finishes. How every, yeah. Yeah. Even if that's it's the end of any movie, the third movie. <laughs> now we up, dance with Ewoks. Explodes and the that's Ewoks right. show up. Um, and I love Jedi and I will defend Ewoks uh, to the death, frankly. Love but but um, we, that's not what we were doing. We, we were, you know, the comics have many, 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 many more stories to tell. So I think when you're liberated from that, it, it, it frees you to just keep telling these stories, I hope, I think. Now, when you're looking at all the different... Uh, the, the other thing about, you know, if you're sort of following the idea of comics and the philosophy of comics is that, you know, uh, the characters evolved and they're passed on to different writers and they have different powers and they have different points. I mean, just the... I, you know, it, it, just kind of even reading about Ant-Man and, like... Oh, Henry was Ant-Man, but he's also credited early on for creating Ultron. Sure. And, you know, like there's all these different ways that you could attack. And how do you know what to pick and which, which one to follow? Well, it's interesting because now, you know, I think we're, we're in our 10th or 11th or 12th movie within this new MCU Marvel sort of cinematic universe continuity. And it is approaching time where we're saying, okay, well... In the comics, they had been doing certain things by this point, which is why they had this person do this thing. If we did that now, it wouldn't make any sense because, you know, we've done enough things that are unique in, in these other movies that we need to now start being true, not just to the comic continuity, which, again, we've never been completely true to. That's always been the inspiration. But now we have to be true to our own continuity. So certainly in the case of Ultron... There are a few characters in the franchise who would make sense to, to have been involved in that, in that creation, other than introducing a new character out of nowhere to come and do it. Um, and Edgar already has certain ideas and plans for those characters going back to Comic-Con 2006 wow. that we wanted to maintain. Yeah, That's the, the, the movie business to me. I mean, tell, I always kind of bitch that television takes forever. We're sort of spoiled with internet stuff now. It's like, oh, I have an idea. Let's go make it. Okay, we shot it on Tuesday, and it's yeah. up on Friday. Yeah. Uh, you know, this podcast, we could literally just walk out of here and post it immediately if we, if we wanted to. But, you know, when you're talking about, you know, so I, I look at uh, internet culture as like daily or monthly, whereas a f- television is like a year, two years. Film, three to ten years. Like, the patience. How do you even know if you still like the thing by the time you make it? Well, that's why you've, it's got to be, you've got to really like it <laughs> to keep your interest up for, for that long. But, it, you know, we have, we have uh, it both ways, right? One is Ant-Man has been, been going on for seven, eight years. The other is the whole idea of, of Avengers completing sort of phase one like that. That was, that was a three or four or five year journey. But then we also, you know shoot scenes right after the premiere and then put it in the, you know, the shawarma scene on, on Avengers we shot after the premiere. Um, so I got to see that. I got to see a crowd react to that two weeks after we shot it. Wow. Um, you know, there, there, and there have been a few cases like that where it's not immediate posted online, but it's not waiting three or four years. And that's in, just talking about individual scenes or gags yeah. that we put in at the last minute. Wow. Do you think audiences now... I, I, I sort of was feeling in the last year or so that uh, as an audience member... I do have a little bit of destruction fatigue. Yes. Just in terms of like watching cities get fucking obliterated. Because I think there's that idea of like, oh, but you know, the effects looks really cool. But I think audiences now go, yeah, yeah, yeah. We know you can do all that. We know you can do all that. But then just watching, watching cities in film after film after film after film just get leveled. Like, I, it, I, I don't know. And, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's in a post 9-11 world or I don't know what it is. But there's something where I feel a little like... Ah, okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think Man of Steel and, and, and Into Darkness this summer was sort of the one-two punch where audiences went, wait a minute. Yeah. 
Um, and I don't know if it's a 9-11 thing necessarily, but I do think it's a, yeah, I get it. The debris sims look really good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and, and believe me, we had plenty of debris sims in, uh, in, uh, in Avengers. Um, but it, it, we knew, we had hoped, and it turned out to be right, that Hulk punching Thor and Hulk smashing Loki <laughs> are, the, are, the most memor- are much more memorable than, uh, than look of the way that Leviathan crashed into the roof. Right. Yeah. Um, so we, we put a lot of focus on that. And, and when people see, uh, uh, I hope people go see Thor The Dark World in a few weeks, the, I won't give away the finale, of course, but it is much more about um, uh, sort of individuals than it is about uh, destruction. How do you stay connected with your audiences, like in terms of how how active are you personally online and forums? And are you are, you know how much are you on MySpace? <laughs> I'm on MySpace every day. Oh no, Kevin! Every what? No, is your ba- it's your band, right? <laughs> um, it's. Uh, Look, it gets to be sort of a, a, a drone or a cacophony, but it's – I read enough of it. To, I never participate in it. No, you can't. No. But, uh, but it's uh, – but I've just – it's just been part of my daily routine going back to reading. Is Kenneth Branagh going to be Obi-Wan Kenobi in, uh, yeah. in uh, Star Wars Episode One, uh, which was one of the first rumors I remember learning, thinking it was a scoop on, on – uh, probably <laughs> in a cool – In 98. Um, no, probably 97 or something when they were, before they were yeah. casting. I'm old. Um, <laughs> We're the same age. Uh, so, so that is just part of the daily thing to, to read and, and look at it. Um, I would not say it, it influences us. It can help if we. It can help tilt us one side or the other if we're on the fence about something, which we're not a lot, but sometimes are. Um, but you go crazy if you read if you read all of it. Well, and also yeah. because this is great. This is horrible. This is great. This well, is there's always going to there's yeah, always going to be. Yeah. I mean, you know, especially. You know, with these these Marvel films, which have essentially grossed like eight and a half billion dollars, some some crazy number like that, that you know, you are now. Does it feel? Do you feel weird or pressure in the sense of um, you're sort of at the top of this pyramid, and there are expectations? I, I'm, I interviewed George Lucas for something, and off camera, he was very. You know, like hey, you know, he had stories, and he was very, you know, and on camera, he just got very guarded, and I. What I realized was, oh yeah, because all this stuff is bigger than him, and every time he opens his mouth, he is immediately going to divide people, and half the people are going to be like, "That's brilliant, you're right. the creator," and the other half right. of people are like, "How dare you?" So how do you, you know, like? I don't think we're. I, I think Star Wars is a religion of which I'm a follower. I'm not sure we're a religion yet necessarily, <laughs> um, and I think we have as many fans that are relatively new. You know, going back to Iron Man 2008, as we do fans that have been complete loyal readers of the comics for decades and decades and decades. So I, I do think, you know, the little thing is we, we were, we were um, finishing prep on the first Captain America film. And uh, uh, we were doing the final costume test of, uh, of his final look, in the, in, which we always wanted to be World War II-ish, but also red, white, and blue in Captain America. And, and Ryan Meinering, uh, one of our head... Um, visual designers um, who if you look at the art of books is all over and is a genius and, and it works in house here for us um, and had, had drawn and, and co-designed many of those those costumes um, ha- is a big geek himself and had bought like for 300 bucks at some comic con a reproduction of Captain America's shield and it was a comic version of the shield you know the one Colbert has on his yeah, uh, thing yeah. it's like, it was like, <laughs> like that one and that was the one that we had Evans holding in the costume test. And we screened the final version of the, of, the, of the costume test in a screening room afterwards. And we all looked at each other like, okay, that's great. That's awesome. Costume looks great. And I said, all right, when, when did we get the new shield? 
And Joe and everybody said, what do you mean? We'll just use that. And I went, no, 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 no. <laughs> we can't just use that. Because A, it didn't look good against the costume. But B, I think people expect, I think people go, oh, I wonder how they're going to adapt this to the big screen. I wonder what little tweaks they'll make to have it hold up on the, on the big screen. So we had Ryan do a version of the shield that had more plating and some more cut lines on it, which is the shield that's in uh, uh, all the movies now. Um, but I do think people expect us to, to alter things a little bit, just a bit. And they trust us, I hope, that we're not just altering it for no reason. As is some, does Wolverine have to have crazy hair like that? Which were discussions <laughs> early on on, on X-Men 1. Uh, Maybe a cigarette and not a cigar. I don't, know, I don't know. We just need to make some of them. Yeah. Well, I think it's important that... You know, especially, and this is kind of a different, I feel like this is a different media landscape in the sense that, you know, I always say that the thing that um, I I think one of the positives about Nerdist is that we're in the demographic of the stuff we're making. You are definitely in the demographic of, like, you're a fan, you know, you uh, have this encyclopedic knowledge of comics and the things that you work on and 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 you seem to yeah. be more, more movies than comics but 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 yeah i mean that's sort of the the team here and, and i think that's part of uh uh you know the small team we've developed here most pe- most of my team have been here for for eight or nine or ten years started as assistants start as i did um and 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 frankly put up had been putting up with a lot of stuff we put up with for a long time because we wanted to make these movies mm. um and it was and it was never about the the money it was it was you know the, you know marvel saying hey or or going back to fox or to avi or to uh, Lawrence Schuler Donner saying you know you want to go move to toronto for 8 months and uh, uh, live in the snow and uh, shoot a movie 15 hours a day hell yes i do <laughs> absolutely and that enthusiasm is what you have to keep going otherwise why be in this be in this business so a lot of it is what do we think is cool what do we think is funny uh, and we didn't know if other people would agree with us until until the first few movies worked. Um, and now that is how we do it. But we also do – we don't do big uh, test screenings, but we do small sort of friends and family screenings um, and can tell if something if something fumbles. Yeah. <laughs> you'll, adju- be nice. you'll adjust yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. So you have, to, you have to pay attention to the audience. And, and ultimately the best filmmakers that I've worked with and what I've tried to, to maintain myself – is the sense of Sam Raimi used to always describe everything when he was pitching a scene or pitching a shot or pitching a moment. It all was with the end result of what he wanted the audience to feel in this moment, what he wanted, how he wanted the audience to react to this shot or to this sequence or to this storyline. And I thought, well, of course, because that's all that matters. Mm-hmm. What we think is neat, what we think, all that matters is when those lights go down and the movie starts playing at the Cinerama Dome when people cut school to go see the, the trilogy. <laughs> you know, that, and, and I really, and, or, or when they wait in line for 100 hours for Phantom Menace in, uh, in, uh, at the Chinese Theater, which I didn't do, but I had friends that did. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, and uh, uh, you know, there's a, I think there's a, kind of a silly word, but a purity to that, to knowing that every joke or every shot or every uh, uh, twist or moment is about how, this is what we want the If I were going to see this movie fresh, this is how I would want to feel. In this in this beat, which is important because, especially as you know, um, there are a lot of movies that get released now where you go, uh, "Oh well, I, I probably didn't need to see that in a theater. You guys could have just watched that on the right. the TV." Like the the idea that the the experience of going to the cinema, especially as people get lazier and media becomes more convenient, is a really fucking big deal to get people to leave their houses, park their cars, yes. and pay extra money yes. yeah. to go sit. In a theater, is that you know 
you guys are sort of you're kind of immune to that in a way because it, the scope of what you're making. It, you kind of feel like a dipshit if you don't see it in the theater. Because, yeah. like, well, I have to see... You need to see every little piece, and you need to see that, that kind of stuff on a big I think screen. that's true, and I think it's... You know, I think it's becoming... Uh, I think there's the, the, the whole spoiler factor also gets people <laughs> into the theater soon, so they can see something before it, it gets spoiled for them. Yeah. Um, but you look at... I've not seen it yet, but you look at the success of Gravity, mm-hmm. which is based purely on the reviews obviously being so good and saying, you have to go... This is an experience. Get in your car, drive to a big IMAX, and why the IMAX numbers and the 3D numbers on that movie are bigger than usual, because um, people want to go experience things. Well, it, yeah, I haven't seen Gravity Me yet, either. but Me I either. really, I really do, I really do want to see. to love it. it. But it is also in, um, you know, you also have the task of it. That film might be incredibly engaging, but how do you convey that? Like, then there's the whole marketing of a film, which. Yeah is a whole separate animal that I, I don't fully understand. Well, we have, you know, we're now on the Disney lot, my second day here in the Disney lot. Right across the parking lot there is the marketing department. That's one of the great reasons uh, that we're here, because now instead of driving from Burbank to Manhattan Beach, I can just walk across the street and see the poster development, the trailer development, and they're very, very good. And again, that also comes with the confidence of marketing the movie, not hiding. Thor takes place on a bunch of weird, different worlds. Guardians of the Galaxy has trees and raccoons. You can't hide from that necessarily. So what's the best way to embrace that and get audience members who might go, what, a tree raccoon, into that, uh, that storyline? And, they, and they're very good. The first two movies that they've marketed and distributed for us was, was Avengers and Iron Man 3. So they're, oh, wow. they're off to a good, yeah. a good start. You, you talked about like when you know, the movies that you said that you made that didn't really hit. You were able to kind of blame because you had a, like, a more of a, like, a parent company thing going on as opposed to doing it independently. But now you're part of this huge like, you know, conglomerate of a company, um, and you, but you still said you're, you're independent within it. Like, what's, like, uh, well, it, it, I don't know about blame necessarily, but, but it is, yeah, and it wasn't even parent, com- it wasn't even parent companies back then. It was, you know, Fox got the rights from, we were the IP holders is uh, another way to put it okay. back, in, back in the day. Um, uh, you know, when, when the Disney uh, purchase was happening, uh, it was very clear that it was it was happening because of the movies we had made and because the trust they had that we'd be able to continue making those kind of movies. And they always said, if it's not broke, we're not going to fix it. And it very similar to Pixar. We'd met with some of the with John Lasseter and said, so what was it like? Did they change oh, everything? Yeah. And they were like, no, they were very honest. And, they've and, been really smart about that. Yeah. When, 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 really when cool. let people do sort of what, yeah, they, yeah. what they've been doing. Uh, if any of the movies don't work, you know, that'll probably be a different story yeah. in the future. But for the time being, um, uh, it's, it's very, very positive. Well, that's very why, supportive. Really cool. That's why when, yeah. some, like, when, when, the, when the Lucasfilm thing happened and then people were like, you know, I, I got a ton of tweets. I'm like, how, how do you feel right. about this? Is right. this the worst thing? And I'm like, why would this be the worst thing? You know, you look at Pixar, Marvel, the Muppets, like anything that they've absorbed. Besides the fact that Star Wars already has integration at the parks, and they really, but and and you need something with an infrastructure that size to take on IP that size. Yeah. But the idea that they've come in and kind of let each thing be its own voice, I feel like they've done a pretty good job with it i don't know why i mean i'm not worried about the star wars franchise at all no i mean i think you know certainly they showed it with pixar they've proven it with with uh with us that uh, they're very very smart and then very very additive because there are smart people that run the studio here and incredible people that market and distribute it so it's yeah. it was a win-win for us and and they're all if you have somebody that this is a uh they were 100 percent behind it 
And when you get down to the, to the, to the uh, executives whose job it is to make a trailer, make a poster, they were always 100% behind it at Paramount and all the studios we worked with. But there's a difference between the head of the company saying, this is the most important thing behind our studio sure. right now. And this is one of five important things behind our studio right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, and it also, as we're kind of winding this down, this I'm, I'm going to start pushing this uh, on the podcast a lot to the internet, which is I know that our brains are asked to process a lot of data every day. And so it's very easy to form quick judgments based on no information. But as a lover of things, I really beg people to review. I, I beg people to view and then review. View something and then review it. Yeah. You know? Is Ben Affleck a great Batman? I'll find out when I see it. Exactly. <laughs> How about that? I exactly. hate I hate it when I see someone like see someone tweeting like um like like really digging this movie and I go digging and then like they tweet about it again. Never mind, it just took a turn. I go, You're not fucking paying attention. <laughs> just fucking listen, watch the goddamn movie. Yeah. Yes. Don't like, tweet during things. Yeah. I, I also hate immediate reviews upon like I like um I like to let a movie sit in me. After sure. a bit, like so, I don't like immediately when right when the lights go up, just go. Oh, did you? Could you? You know, like I, I stopped going to movie with a bunch of friends because of that. I totally get that. Yeah, I'd rather let it sit because, and go. You know what? I had a good time. How I'm many gonna... times have you seen a movie and then your reaction maybe wasn't necessarily like, "Holy shit, that was that just changed my worldview," but. Four days later, you're still thinking about it, yeah. and like, wow! Let it you know, well, one of the reasons I love movies and want to and, and wanted to make them is because they last forever, yeah. right? If, if you preserve them, and if you, uh, but, and yes, the most important thing are those first few weeks, and and are you going to make enough money so you can make another one, <laughs> which is uh, which is my whole goal. Uh, but you look back, and I was just reading about somebody tweeted um, recently an initial line. Uh, from the Time Magazine, I think it was Time Magazine, review of Vertigo. <laughs> it was like, oh, Hitchcock's, uh, you know, got the TV bug. He's done too many of those TV shows. This uh. is just like a TV thing. Um, I lo- or, or the initial reviews for Wizard of Oz or something. So so always know that that it's, you know, films can are going to hopefully have a <laughs> long history. Yeah. Wizard of Oz. Yeah. What is a color movie? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So bright. <laughs> uh, I like the first <laughs> part. Yeah. Black and white here to stay. Oh, too much. If I want to see color, I'll go out in real life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's what's fun. And, and yes, all that matters is the initial is that initial release to know whether it gets labeled a, a success or a failure. But as time goes on, people start to discover things later. You know, one of my fears about the the media as it is today is. That movies won't, people won't be forced to review movies they may or may not have liked the first time, right? Wizard of Oz became a classic because there were three channels, yeah. and one of those channels started showing Wizard of Oz every year, and people started watching it, other generations started watching it. Nowadays, you have which of these 10,000 movies on Netflix should I watch? Yeah. You know what, though? I really do, and maybe, maybe I'm naive to say this, but I really do believe that quality will be found or rise to the top in some way because you know whereas we don't necessarily have the one of the three channels airing Wizard of Oz over and over again you will have someone somewhere something's good enough that will be passionate that will spread like word of mouth it's essentially crowdsource networking now that's right but I do really believe that good things will find their audience well I think that's true and that's how a show on a tiny cable network uh, you know eight years later can have 10 million people watch the finale because (laughs) of the quality yes And The Walking Dead, by the way, which I've just started to watch. I, I'm so behind on that. Oh, yeah. I'm now in, like, third episode of season two. Yeah. But my goal is to catch up so I can enjoy okay, your Okay, so you're, you're, you're in third episode of <laughs> season two. So right now you're still on the farm. Uh, yes. Oh, the, yes. Oh, we're still close to being done. Yeah, um, the farm. Yeah. You're, you're, yeah, you're on the farm. It's going oh, really? to feel yeah. like, it, like it's a couple episodes where it's a little this. slow. Yeah. Yeah. That was the transition between Darabont and Mazzara. But I promise you... 
it like after a couple episodes of season two, it totally then People you're like totally Jesus, that. and so it and then it and then it goes. So you you'll yeah, be very fine. Excited. You'll be good. Uh, and uh, yeah, we're coming back for that too. But. I was with Rooker uh, the other day on, on set because he he plays a character called Yondu in the movie, and I was saying I'm just starting Walking Dead, and he like couldn't fathom it. I'm like, <laughs> what, you haven't watched every one. So never you're watching met, it again. I've never <laughs> met somebody like yeah. <laughs> well, um, thank you so much for being on the podcast, and also I admire the fact that. Uh, one weird thing that I actually think about is why I don't watch Walking Dead or Breaking Bad ahead of when it airs more than like uh, you know hopefully a handful of hours because there's so much there's so much knowledge in your brain that you can't really share with anyone and that would drive me crazy as a fan of things <laughs> that would fu- I got the Breaking Bad finale two days before it came out and I held it until the last possible minute on the Sunday that it aired because I can't sit with it yep, yep and you yep. have to that is a whole separate power. Of keeping it in there and not shooting it out onto the world. Part of that is because you don't want to spoil it, and part of that is because things change so much. God forbid you announce at Comic Con 2006 that the Mandarin is the villain and I am one. Because that's that's what would happen. Should we keep should we keep adjusting? Well, um, thanks for being here. And, this and, was awesome. And maybe I could talk you into. Sh- I missed the Ant Man footage, the test footage from Comic Con that we'll year. Go show it to you now. <gasps> oh my god, yeah, sweet. So, uh, oh yeah, so so Thor two coming out, Cat yes. two next year, yes. and um, um, and we'll post all the date stuff at the beginning Wonderful. of the podcast. But it was so lovely. To Thank you sit, so you know, much, guys. Every time we oh, hang no, out, no, I've always. Blast, I've always yeah. You know, the only bummer is I won't be able to listen because I never like listening to myself talk. So <laughs> I have to take you'll, this you'll, week you'll, off. You'll skip this one. Yes, yes. You'll totally skip this one. Uh, cool. Enjoy your burrito, everyone. And remember, view and then review. Damn it. Make the shirt. <laughs> That's the thing. Get that bummer sticker started. Here I come, T-Fury. <laughs> now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by Shutterstock.com. With over 700,000 high-quality video clips, Shutterstock helps you take your creative projects to the next level. For 30% off your new account, go to Shutterstock.com and use the offer code NERDIST11. NERDIST and the number 11. Behind every successful business is a story, and some of them might surprise you. Like how Chobani's first yogurt factory was discovered on a piece of junk mail or how the founder of the multi-million dollar cosmetics brand, Drunk Elephant, was told by everyone, including her own mother, that the name sounded like a dive bar. I'm Guy Raz, and on my show, How I Built This, I talk to founders behind the world's biggest companies and brands to learn the real stories of how they built them. In each episode, you'll hear entrepreneurs share moments of doubt and failure and talk about how they were able to overcome them on their way to the top. How I Built This is like a masterclass in innovation and creativity, a how-to guide for navigating life's challenges from the people who've done it all. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.